So I understand it now more that I'm a dad and have that perspective to look back on it. But there were many nights around the Jones table growing up when we would sit down for dinner and it was time to pray. But before we were getting ready to eat, some sort of chaos would break out. I don't know, maybe an argument between siblings or a minor annoyance or some unresolved manner that we were like picking on each other in the home. And now it's time to eat and now it's time to pray. So we would sit down around the table. Occasionally we would hold hands and often it was my dad who would pray. And so he'd pray for dinner. So it's chaos, nitpicking, fight breaking out. All right, let's eat, let's pray. So he would pray, blessing for the food. He'd pray, thank you for the food. But he would pray in different ways too. And in those moments, he wouldn't just pray for us, but I'm convinced he would pray at us. So he'd be like, Lord Jesus, thank you for this food freely given that we don't deserve. Jesus, I thank you that you were selfless and you shared all things with us without complaining and Lord, without whining or grumbling. And he's, you know, he's praying like words are going to God, but like we're sitting around the table and we know that he's praying at us. Okay, and you can do that in very passive aggressive ways. And sometimes as a kid, it drove me crazy. I don't think I've even named this to my dad who may watch this online at some point. (laughs) But now I get it. Because sometimes you do pray for people, but there are some things that you pray for where you actually do pray at people. Things that matter so much that yes, the conversation is happening between you and God, but as you're praying, there's a a reason why you're praying. There's something that is to be communicated. There's something that is to be grasped by those who are hearing the prayer. It's prayer that preaches, spoken to God, and yet for the benefit of others too. It's not lost on me that today is 9-11, And with 9-11 comes the phrase that you often hear, never forget. And the reason why you have to have those phrases like never forget is because we often forget. And there are some things in life and faith that are so important that we must never ever forget. And it's important enough that you pray at people. And so tonight, as we open up the scriptures, we're walking smack dab into one of those kinds of prayers. The Apostle Paul prays for the Colossian church, but he doesn't just pray for them, he prays at them. And there's some things, some beautiful truths in one long run-on sentence that Paul wants these people to know and hear. The word's lifted up to God, but I think the target is on their and our hearts and minds. So open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Last week we opened up our fall series in the book of Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Last week we talked about creeds, 
If you remember that, we talked about ordinary people in ordinary places experiencing extraordinary things because the message of the gospel was unleashed in their small town. And Paul is lifting up in this letter the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the creed above all creeds. It's the statement of faith that challenges all of its rivals, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Paul opens with these words of greeting to them. We're going to get to the great Christ poem next week. But Paul prays for them. And he tells them what he's praying for. And I'm convinced he's praying at them too. So that they and that we would never ever forget what Christ has done for us. Now, if you remember, as I introed this last week, Paul had never been there before. He had not met them face to face. Unlike other letters and other churches, he didn't plant this church. But rather, someone else heard the message that Jesus Christ is Lord and brought it back to town and shared the good news. And I think that as Paul is writing this letter, he's understanding what's happening in their community, and he's realizing that there are some gaps to be filled in for them, specifically around who Jesus is and what he's done for them. That they would never forget the beautiful message of the gospel. So here's this massive run-on prayer. Colossians verse 9, chapter 1. He writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In many ways, this is a really hard sermon to preach because it is so dense, like it is so rich. I was like, man, we could do a series out of this prayer. And it's hard because it's one massive Pauline run-on sentence. And so he just keeps kind of going and going and going and flowing and a little bit of bunny trail here and there. I kind of like to picture it as a spiral staircase, kind of a, a spiral staircase of our salvation, a funnel of truth. So what I'm going to actually do here, rather than preaching my way from the top to the bottom, I'm going to start at the end and work our way back up. So I've broken this down. This prayer actually has 12 thoughts. I'll call them steps. 12 steps on the spiral staircase of God's salvation work available in Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen these images before? Kind of the staircase that never ends. Or like the next one. Right? Start at the top of the stairs and, and work your way down. And then you 
keep going. Like, like this is how I imagine this thought and these prayers is as you keep praying your way down through it all, you just keep finding more and more and more beautiful things that Paul wants to pray at this church and that this Paul wants to pray at you too. So I'm just going to work my way from the bottom to the top and just let's rehearse tonight some of these things that we must never, ever forget. First of all, Paul prays for them. He prays at them that God has offered forgiveness of sins. And many of you are like, yeah, tell me what I don't know. I've heard that before. But that's where he ends this, the last four words, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know tonight that God forgives sin? May that never harden our hearts. May we have soft hearts to the truth that God forgives sins. 1 Timothy 1.15 says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Humanity left alone to our own devices. As things stand on our own, we will die in our sin. We've chosen sin. In Adam and in our own personal choices. Adam voted for us as humanity, and then we have done the same, and we've chosen sin. And from the time we were young, every last human being chooses self over God, and we're sinners by nature and by choice. And if there's one thing that's true in the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, it's that sin is very destructive and that sin separates and sin decays and that sin leads toward death and the wages of sin is death. And so because of that undeniable fact, everything on its own leads us as humanity to be on death row. We're under a sentence of death. We're waiting to die. But God did not leave us there. But God offers forgiveness for our sins. And these are just a few little words at the end of this prayer. But may we never forget the radical statement of grace that there's actually a holy God who offers a way for our sin to be forgiven through the perfect sinless Son of God, through the second Adam who has undone what the first Adam has done. Jesus, because of him, we don't have to die in our sin. We don't have to be condemned in our sin. And as the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I sinned this week and I am so glad I have been forgiven. God says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. I could go on and on and on and on, but Paul wants us to know he's praying at us. Don't you ever, ever forget there's the forgiveness of sin. It's paid in full. Let's keep walking up the staircase. He also talks about verse 14, that there is redemption. 
Verse 14, he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So in Jesus, not only are we forgiven, but we have been redeemed. And in the ancient world, the word redemption has ties to the slave market. So to be redeemed is to be purchased and to be bought out of, this, out of slavery, out of the slave market, and to be then set free, to have your freedom paid for. And for Paul, I think a lot of in his mind as a Hebrew, he had the exodus in mind through a lot of his redemption language that he uses in his letters. And he draws on this great redemption story when the people of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt and yet God redeemed his people. God has been willing in Jesus to pay the price literally with the blood of Jesus to buy us back and to set free those who were in slavery to sin and death. Don't you ever forget, friends, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Let's keep climbing up. He keeps talking about the transfer of kingdom as he prays this prayer. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So the ideas keep expanding. Not only is there a sin thing that is dealt with in forgiveness, but also there's redemption, and also, as again, he keeps talking about, there's a great rescue operation that has been underway. And again, I think the Exodus story informs a lot about what Paul is talking about here. But he says that in Jesus, a better Exodus has occurred, and there has been deliverance. And in his deliverance, there has been a transferring of kingdom. Do you know this about yourself? That through the work of Jesus, there has been a transfer of kingdom. Because of our sin, he says, we've lived in the domain of darkness. We've lived under the slavish rule of the God of this world. But our citizenship in Christ is transferred. Our allegiance, our greatest and highest nationality is that of the kingdom of heaven. And we've been translated, transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Our deepest orientation has been realigned from darkness to beloved son, King Jesus. Kingdom of darkness to kingdom of light. Kingdom of this world to kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the beloved Son. And so life is now lived where the beloved Son, Jesus, is ruler and king of all. N.T. Wright puts it this way, the harsh rule of the prince of darkness has been exchanged for the wise sovereignty of God's Son. tell you this is a prayer that preaches it goes hand in glove with the next part he talks about the deliverance from darkness again as as modern rational americans with secular influences 
rational modern Americans that often turn our nose up at ancient superstitions. We often don't think about these parts, but the Bible often cuts through our modern sensibilities and rehearses the fact that there is darkness and there is light. There is evil in this world. There are demons at work in this world. There is an enemy of your soul that Peter says prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You're like, I'm just trying to live life. <laughs> I'm just trying to go to work, pay my bills, and raise my family, and do my stuff. Do you realize, though, you have been delivered from darkness? There is darkness. There is evil. There are principalities and powers at play. Now, sometimes they get too much credit, but to ignore them biblically would be foolish, incomplete. Jesus has triumphed over Satan and sin and death, and he has crushed darkness. And the light of the world has come, and John says the darkness has not overcome it. You need to hear this on those days when you feel, you read the news and you look outside and you're like, what is happening here? Darkness has been defeated. It's in this already, not yet. We don't see it in full as it will be one day, but you must know. Jesus Christ is Lord over the darkness, and we have been delivered from darkness. Forgiveness of sin, redemption, a transfer of kingdom, deliverance from darkness, qualified inheritance. Look at verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul has inheritance on his mind. He's praying that they would come to understand qualification to be rightful heirs in the kingdom. And each of these things could have its own thought and series. I'm, just, I'm giving you the overview here. But all throughout the Bible, this theme of inheritance is at play. And in the ancient world, wealth and power and property were passed down through the family line through the firstborn son. And the reason why they did that was because they didn't want to split up the, the wealth and the power and the authority in too many places. They wanted to be able to hand it down, not diluted, not scattered to the next generation to keep it going that way. So inheritance was passed on from firstborn son to firstborn son. That's what it took to gain the inheritance. But in Jesus, this is the beauty of the gospel story, that Jesus, the perfect firstborn son, not only paid for our sin, not only redeemed us and rescued us and transferred us out of darkness into his kingdom, but he has qualified us to have his inheritance so that we then receive a share in all that is his, he says, is now yours. And we now have a stake in all the blessings in heavenly places. Shared authority to rule and reign with the beloved Son in the new heavens and the new earth. Come on, Jesus. What a generous ruler. So that Paul prays that they would know that they are qualified for inheritance as saints in light. That that's who you are through the work of Jesus. And in the room tonight, we have a collection of saints 
in light. Saint Karima, I see you. Saint Mary, I see you. Saint Neil and Carla. Saint Matt. Paul's like, I'm praying that you would understand you've been qualified as heirs in the kingdom, as saints in light. Give thanks to the Father for his masterful plan. And then this moves really, I think, in a more practical way. The further up into the prayer you get. So yes, I'm praying that you know that you've been forgiven of sin. There's redemption. You've been transferred into a new kingdom, delivered from the domain of darkness, qualified to be heirs, but also praying that you would live life today with patience, endurance, with joy. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience, with joy. This is not just about, as sometimes it can be spoken of, oh, my sins are forgiven, so I'm good when I die. We're good for life after death. And yes, as we've talked about, all those things pertain into eternity. And yet, as Paul's praying for this church community, he wants them to understand that the, the implication of the finished work of Jesus changes how we live today. That you would be strengthened with power, not according to your own strength, which runs out and you grow weary and you faint, but that you would experience the strength and the power of God, his glorious might, that you would actually have endurance to keep going this week, that you would actually be able to be patient in your life today, that you would actually have a life that is marked with joy as you endure and as you are patient. The saved life, the salvation plan of God is not just about getting our sins forgiven. It also has a bearing on our lives today and today in Jesus. His offer for you, if you are weary, his offer for you is his strength to meet you in your weakness. His, his offer for you for who is ready to give up is that you would experience endurance for those who've been beaten down by the demands of life, that you would actually have heavenly joy mark your being. It ties next very well with the next one here. That not only would we live today with patience, endurance, with joy, but that we'd have strength with all power. This is what God's offering us. Strength when you're weak. You could endure when life just throws you junk in the hard times and the difficult times, when the unexpected stuff pops up, the curveballs that you didn't even see coming smack you in the face, the power of God is available. The strength of God is available. He is the one with whom there are no limits, and he is the one who does exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine, and he wants you to experience his power and his might, his endurance and his patience to infuse you and keep you going with his joy. Like, I can't, I know he can. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. So 
Paul's praying at them. Next one. Praying that we would increase in the knowledge of God. It's the end of verse 10. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you know that God actually wants you to know him more? That, that, that your knowledge and your understanding of him isn't yet complete. And that God wants you to know him. And he wants you to know him more and more and more. There's more for you to experience of the God life. I know I've used this analogy before. I'll keep using it though. My wife and I celebrated 23 years of marriage a few weeks ago. We met in high school. Our first date was the homecoming dance, our senior year of high school, which is really crazy when you have a daughter who's entering her senior year of high school. We dated for five years. We've been married now for 23 years. So that's 28 years. I'm learning new things about my wife right now. I said I do 23 years ago. I had no idea what I was saying I do too. And I'm discovering more and more about who she is. And her for me. It's the old saying, my wife has been married to 10 different men and they're all me. We get to know each other more and more. How much more than with God? He wants you to know him more. He doesn't want to just know you as you knew him in elementary school, if you knew him then. He doesn't want you just to know him as you knew him in high school or college, if you knew him then. He doesn't want you to just to know him as you were in your 20s or your 30s. I know this from talking to people who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s. Keep learning and growing and discovering more and more of who God is. It's part of the journey. It's part of the fun. And we have eternity to increase in our knowledge of him. Bearing fruit. Verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. I think we studied the fruit of the Spirit recently. We're not saved by our fruitfulness, but we are saved for it. We are saved to bear fruit in our lives for every good work, a fruitful life and a fruitful character and a fruitful community. And it's not just, God, get me out of here to heaven for the sweet by and by. But there's this opportunity right here, right now, because of, can we go back one slide? Because, yeah, because of all these things, because we've been forgiven and redeemed, and we're now in a new kingdom of the beloved Son, and darkness has been defeated, we're delivered, we're heirs as saints. We can live today with strength and power, knowing God, and to actually have the way in which we live our lives look different, and we bear fruit in our character and in our friendships, and in our home, and in our parenting, and with our neighbors. And we begin to bear fruit. Every day is a new day to abide in him and bear much fruit. That we may be, here's God's desire, next one, that we be fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing him. That we would live at his pleasure and we'll touch more on this as we get into the great poem, the great Christ poem that comes after this. 
but we are made by Jesus for Jesus. And he holds all things together. He's over all things, in all things. Then then he becomes the, the one who drives our life. Like today, Lord Jesus, I want to please you. I want to please you. And there's a sense in that, like, we are fully pleasing to him, to the Father, through the work of Jesus. But there's also then a choice in our lives each day to say, I want to live in line with that. I want to make choices and decisions in how I go about my day that would be pleasing to him. Is this pleasing to Jesus? To hear what he says and to obey. Another way of framing this, the next one, is to have a walk worthy of the Lord. Verse 10, the start of verse 10, to walk worthy of him. And I love the the biblical notion of walking. Walking with God is a loaded term in the book of Genesis. I'm going to throw this up. Genesis 3.8. God walking in the garden. Adam and Eve. Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Genesis 6, Noah was a just man, blameless in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Genesis 17, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. To walk with God is this idea where certain people of faith would, contrary to the rest of the world, would live a life marked by faith in step with their Creator of being in step with him, moving where God moves, loving what God loves, making a priority what's on his heart and mind. This is what salvation looks like. New creation in Christ, opportunity to walk with God, to stay in step with him each and every day. Which leads us back to the very beginning of his prayer then, being filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. It's interesting that that collection of terms, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, it shows up a few times in the Old Testament. Someone who was given knowledge and wisdom and understanding. It was used in the book of Exodus to the guy who was commissioned to build the tabernacle, Bezaliel. He was given knowledge and wisdom and understanding to pull off that task, which is interesting that this craftsman, this person who was to build the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, all the furniture, all the utensils, etching these things, weaving these things for the garments of the priests, artistic works, jewel setting, craftsmanship, carving, that man was given knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Also, the same three show up in Isaiah 11 regarding the Messiah who is given knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding. And you may be thinking, well, I'm not a craftsman. I don't need to build a tabernacle. and I'm not the Messiah of the world. But here's what God intends to give to his followers. Knowledge and wisdom and understanding for your specific task, for your specific piece of building, shaping, working, carrying out your vocation, that you'd be filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding to live here and, there, here and now where God has planted you 
everything you need to carry out your specific task. That's a loaded prayer. It's, a, it's the fullness. Again, this isn't the exhaustive list, but that's a full picture of salvation. That Paul's praying for them, that he's praying at them. It's a prayer that preaches. And he really hasn't even fully scratched the surface. But I hope you begin to see, as he prays for this church, that what Paul is after for them is not a shallow faith, but a, a rich faith in all of its textures. A vision of flourishing, of knowing the fullness of what Jesus has offered you. Because when Jesus Christ is Lord, it touches everything. There's, there's not a part of your life it doesn't touch. Your deepest sin, your deepest identity, your deepest struggle, your very struggle here and now, yes, for eternity future, but even tomorrow, Monday morning, strength and endurance with joy, knowing God, a fruitful life, walking with God, knowing him and having everything you need to show up tonight and tomorrow and the day to come. What's the application from this sermon? Never, ever forget all that Jesus has done for you. It's what I pray for you what I pray at you. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you doesn't seem enough for all that you've done. And I thank you for Paul's prayer for these saints of old a few thousand years ago, but I thank you for how these words ring true for this group of saints, this people, this town, this place, our lives. Jesus, you are Lord, Messiah, King, forgiver of sins, redeemer, deliverer, conqueror, savior, sustainer, supplier, friend, walking companion. We want to know you more. That the fullness of the measure of God would be in us, over us, through us. I thank you that we don't lack a thing. So would you lift our heads again tonight? May we hear this prayer spoken over us and to us and at us. May we remember with gratitude tonight all that you've done. 
when, when the voices of the enemy and the voices of the world and our own voices at times too whisper, condemn. Again, Lord Jesus, your truth ring out loud and invite us closer and deeper. And God, I pray again tonight for anyone in the room or who would be watching online that has not yet come to believe and receive your grace. May they hear tonight your offer in Christ and may they respond in repentance and faith. May they turn to you and believe all that you've done, follow you into a new life. God, thanks for your good, your good, good work and your good, good gifts. And may we not settle. May we hunger and thirst for more of you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.